You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. You know, we set aside time, it's called Advent, and it's to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Christ. Now, now notice I said we prepare our hearts. It is important to get to know the historical facts of all the events that happened at this time. But what we're really looking for in the season of Advent is our connection to the person of Jesus and what that connection means to us. And that's what Advent is. So for this week, I'm going to briefly take a look at the risk from God's point of view. And later weeks we'll cover Mary and Joseph and it'll be Christmas. But it mentions here this little verse, Matthew 121. But I kind of expanded it so you can get more context with it. So we're going to read Matthew 1, 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, a lot of translations will say because Joseph was righteous, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after, she had after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So the first risk that God takes involves a young couple. They're not married, and he's going to conceive a child with them. In those days, this was a stoning offense. It was death. But Joseph was a righteous man, and Mary was highly favored. And so, while it was risky, God trusted them to do what is right in his will. Then Mary and Joseph were told to give him the name that God has chosen. And boy, this is not trivial. The name of Jesus is more of what he is, more of what he is, is more, it's way more than what he is just called. I finally got that one out. God is placing his name in Jesus. Yahweh saves. I want to show you this from a different perspective. Understand this. Let's look at Jude 5. Jude 5 says, Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who, do not, who did not believe. And Hopefully she's got the footnote. See a little footnote there? It says, Early manuscripts say Jesus, where it says Lord. So I, said, I want to remind you, the that Jesus at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. And I think it's important. It's funny because in uh, the Passion Translation, he puts Jesus, and in his footnotes, he says, later manuscripts say the Lord. I don't know why they did it the other way, but anyway. It's really kind of important. See, Jesus had led the people out of Egypt. He's the angel of Yahweh. Now, you may not re even remember this, so we're going to go to Exodus 23. You'll see this. See, 
I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. Do not, he will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all he sa that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the per Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jesuits, and I will wipe them out. This name, the name given by the Father, is the angel's way of telling him, that, telling Joseph, that this baby is going to be filled with the essence of God. We later come to see that Jesus, that when we see Jesus, we see the Father. When you see in Corinthians and in Colossians. See, this is an important thing. The, the name of Jesus being filled. Why is that important? Later on, Jesus will talk about, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And so this is, this is the early beginning of that, that, that relationship. And that we will now later become part of that relationship. Then he tells them the mission of Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. This is something that's more than forgiving their sins. And it's much bigger. As great as forgiving our sins is, this is the restoration and completeness from sin. This, is, this will entail defeating the forces of evil so that we, we will have the authority through Jesus to defeat sin ourselves. That power over sin ourselves. This is, this is a complete complete change in us. This is more than merely a forgiveness. This is a forgiveness, restoration, and transformation. Jesus is going to echo the events of Exodus as a human being and with his, he's going to do it as a human being and with his people. Please do not miss this. Jesus is bringing his people along in this journey to destroy the works of the evil one and to save the people. I have a quote up here from Michael Heiser. And it says, an identic realization without human participation would have meant that the Nechas, which is the, the, the serpent in the garden, would have won a victory without taking us along. The abolition of humankind as God's image. God need not change his plan in response to human weakness or the self-willed rebellion of a divine council member, Satan. He will not... He will need not remove humanity or human freedom with it, his image, to accomplish what he wants. An omniscient, all-powerful being doesn't cheat. He knows how best to win and how best to redirect his opponents. Jesus is going to show us, he's going to teach us, and empower us to participate in the great redemption, now and in the end time. So we move for forward, and we hear a similar sound of what the angel said as we get to John the Baptist. In John 1.29 it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Again, that's the removal of sin. I'm going to read from Mark to, to pick up from there. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. 
and a voice from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. You know, sometimes the ministry and mission of Jesus kind of looks kind of mundane, kind of quiet. You know, we've got the gospel story going from place to place, and we see miracles, and we hear teachings, and it seems rather rosy and real wonderful. It's not so. Every day in the ministry of the incarnate Yahweh was a spiritual assault on the forces of, of darkness to reclaim what rightfully belonged to him, his father, and his divine family. The Gospels are more, far more than a boring point-to-point travelogue. The mission of Jesus is really profound risk. Mark notes at the baptism that the, it says the heavens were, it says, torn open. Some say split apart. The word here is schizo. It's where we get schizophrenia. It's the exact same word used in the Septuagint to describe the opening of the Red Sea. So we're seeing the miracle of the Red Sea being split apart. This is a, a echoing of the Exodus journey. So remember, the deliverance from Egypt was, was a victory over hostile gods, hostile beings. It was a spiritual victory. It was not a military victory. And on the other side of the Red Sea, Moses asked the question, who is like Yahweh among the gods as he's dancing? And the obvious answer is no one. And so the Exodus event was a release from exile. God got, brought his people out of Egypt to reconstitute them as a nation and to reestablish his kingdom, God with man, to rule on the earth. And so the new Exodus event is happening. And the kingdom of God is back, and this time it will not fail. It's being led by the visible God, the incarnate Jesus Christ of Nazareth led by the name of Jesus. This is powerful. It begins with a call in the wilderness from John the Baptist to announce the Lamb of God and his mission. Then Jesus initiates the beginning of a new battle of wits and risk. The incarnate Christ was the beginning of reclaiming more than Israel. He was reclaiming all the nations again. But the gods of darkness they were not going to surrender their domains without a fight. And the battle began so quickly, Jesus barely had time to towel off. He, if you really read it, Jesus was led at once. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, immediately from the baptism. The wilderness represents an area where the unclean, demonic spirits lived. Do you remember, that's where um, Az Azazel, is that how you pronounce it? think of this. this. This was the demonic God that were the Jews every year at the atonement, they would have a scapegoat and they would send him out to the wilderness to this God that was out in the wilderness. This was the enemy's home turf. So why would Jesus go there? His 40 days represents the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. And so by by Israel's faith and loyalty, to, while um, Israel's faith and loyalty faltered, this one won't. They were seduced by the hostile powers 
in the wilderness. Jesus, the messianic son of God and representative of the, of the nations, will, will succeed where Israel failed. Jesus, again, blesses us with risk. The key to understanding the significance of this part of the story is held in three Bible quotations. And they come from the early passages of Deuteronomy 6 and 8, where Moses is addressing the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. Moses reminds them of what they have learned, what they should have learned. He, he challenged the challenges, the profound lack, and the revelation found in trusting the faithfulness of their God. Moses teaches that the wilderness period was a test and an education process into a life trust, of trusting obedience to God. So in the first temptation, Satan tries to entice Jesus with, to satisfy his hunger by turning stones into bread. The Israelites faced the same profound hunger, starving. They said they were starving. And Jesus is, is going to, he actually quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Let's look at Luke 3 and 4 to describe this. It says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. But I think we need to read out of Deuteronomy with a little bit bigger context. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 8 through 3. I'm sorry, 8, 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that your Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how your Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan may not have picked this up, but Jesus was going after what he owns. And a loaf of bread wasn't going to stop him. He has total faith in his father to protect and provide during his quest. Do you notice these passages are about taking land, taking territory, taking dominance. So that's what he's quoting back to Satan. You look at it further, verses 5 through 13. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, you will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put your Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, Satan was offering Jesus the very thing he came to take, but at a much higher cost. You might look at it. It would be a higher cost to Jesus. Let's look at the passages in Deuteronomy again. And this time it's 6, uh, 13 through 19. Fear the Lord your God, 
Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put your God, the, the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commandments of, of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. Jesus has God's word that all the lands are already his, if he remains true to the Father. Had Jesus given in, it would have been an acknowledgement that he needed Satan's permission to possess the nations. Satan presumed power and ownership of something that ultimately was not his, but God's. The message behind Jesus' answer is clear. Yahweh will take back the lands by his own means in his own time. And he doesn't need a bargain for them. But it runs deeper. Reclaiming the, the, the nations was connected with salvation and redemption from the effects of the fall. And, and accepting Satan's honor would have undermined the necessity of the atonement of the cross. This is like the Olympic Games. Jesus lit the torch and said, let the games begin. God at any time could have defeated Satan and cast him into the depths of hell. But if he leaves us on the sidelines as a spectator, we are neither redeemed or reborn. Our role as imagers of God would end. The kingdom of God would have been established without us. Because if we are taken out of the role of free will, to decide him or God, we no longer are part of that arrangement. We have been isolated. We're not part of the program anymore. See, part of this, elder, this wilderness story is so important because what happened to Israel was fear overcame God's abundant love. The nations were filled with giants. Do you remember? The nations were filled with giants. By not facing the giants, the Israelites failed one more time by not trusting the promise of God. Because of this, the only ones to enter the promised land were Caleb and Joshua, who were the spies that said they didn't fear the giants. Jesus took the risk of everything. Many theologians include his independent, his independent deity. Had he as a human being, being with every human need and every human feeling, failed at any point in his quest, all would be lost for him and for his created people. When the, we really have to understand this. As you go through Advent, I wish you really could capture this whole picture. Jesus doesn't have to do any of these things to defeat, defeat Satan. He's doing it so that we share in his defeat, so that we maintain our role as image and likeness of God. That's why he's bringing us along. That's why he's allowing us to suffer is because it's through that suffering we continue to choose him. And that's what makes us image makers is the freedom that we're born with. And so we can't miss this whole story of what this story is about. Christmas is a story of God's love of his image makers that he created that he, can't, that he will not allow them 
not to continue in that role. So when the angel visits Mary and, and, and Zechariah to announce the impending birth of Jesus and John, centuries of divine silence are broken. Thirty years later, later, Judea will explode. But the unseen spiritual conflict will be way more volatile. So Joseph wakes from his dream, and he sees a massive giant before him. Marrying this woman, who's with child, definitely not his child, could be the biggest mistake of his life. Giants. Mary, as a very young girl, must accept this divine command. And if that's not enough, mother and raise the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I mean, I can't imagine that one. Joseph, the Savior of the world, is crying. What do we do? And you talk about your giants. And some of us have missed that this, this child, Jesus, is going to face the most powerful leaders of this world both the religious leaders, the leaders of the most powerful nation, Rome, plus the personification of evil in Satan, giants. Some of us, spiritually speaking, are still wiping the water of our baptismal off of us too, while others, are, well, others of us are well into our walk. And you know, that walk is going to take us into wildernesses, then into oases, maybe back into wilderness again. But that's our walk. Because God loves to move through his created beings. He loves this. He created you for a purpose, and he loves to see you in that purpose. Do you remember the, when you read about the war in heaven that's in, uh, between Michael and, and the devil? And it has, says there was a war. Why didn't God just go, hey, you're out? Because he created these angelic beings to be his warriors. Go to war. That's what I made you for. He's doing the same thing with, on earth with us, his sons and daughters. I, I made you to go to war. Go to war. Battle. Fight. Don't give up. So he sends us on our daily mission. Every day we have a daily mission. And it may seem really insignificant, but sometimes it's absolutely life-changing. But just like Christ, for us, there's a spiritual battle to overcome. There's risk. So what are the qualifications? What special training and degrees do you need to do this? Obedience to the will of God is the only qualification. That's it. Obedience. You thought I was going to say faith. You may have thought I said all this. It's obedience. Obedience, to the will, to, obedience that flows from our love of God that we accept this risk. Our acceptance of risk flows from the love of God, not from some artificial duty of, well, I'm supposed to be a Christian, I've got to do this. It's God needs to see his people moving to save his people. That's part of our job. So we're all qualified to partners in areas of discomfort, of doubt, of fear, and yes, what's the word? Giants. So, the people of God were born through a very old couple, righteous Abraham and reluctant, unbelieving Sarah. But they were obedient, eventually. But 
That's what's so important. They were, became obedient. Sarah's like, you've got to be putting me on. But eventually she became obedient and had a child. So now this unmarried girl and this stunned fiancé birthed the Son of God. And through him, a people of the salvation of Christ, the church, because they were obedient. The church was birthed because of the obedience of Mary and Joseph. God already risked it all in one. Satan's defeated and Christ lives. And now he invites us this season to accept the risk into which he leads us. So we'll invite others to share the same mindset of Christ Jesus, which as we read in Philippians 2, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just want to mention one little thing. You notice it says every tongue. Does anyone know why that's important? Because at Babel, the nations were scattered and they all had a new language. This is the reclaiming. This is a, this is a declaration of reclaiming the nations again for the Lord. That every tongue, every nation is coming back together again that was scattered. Jesus wants every single one of them. He wants... Nations that speak a language that sounds crazy as can be. He wants people that don't look like us. He wants cultures that aren't our own. He wants all of us to stretch a little further. And it's not really difficult because it's a lot of fun, quite frankly, to explore and learn new people. And then love them to death like Jesus does. Because that's all that he wanted to do. As we, as we go to evangelize, you know, sometimes we think that we've got to pound somebody with facts where just a hug was the best evangelism you can do sometimes. Just being kind is a great evangelism. And then drop, then, then give them some information. But don't bring the information first. If you're bringing information first, someone's making decisions on whether to accept or information that kind of information before they're ever accepting an invitation. And so the answer is going to be no. And you've harmed rather than helped. Because without love, your evangelism is, is useless. I just think that this is a season, especially what's going on right now, our evangelism can probably be more profound than ever. There are more people that are so anxiously waiting to hear some good news of any kind. And if you, ha if you can say, I know where you can find total peace. Can I help you with that? I've never had yet someone say no. I haven't. That's, I've had them say, what are you talking about? What's that? Before you get nervous, that's an invitation for more information. They've invited you in now to a conversation. 
Get excited. The person that says, what are you talking about, has just invited you into the very realm that the Holy Spirit wants you to be. That's a pretty exciting moment in your life. And at first you go, <laughs> especially if you, if you stutter. I've, I've, I don't know if you notice I stutter. So when I get nervous, I, I stutter. What happens is my right brain starts getting all my ideas before it gets to my left brain. And so it doesn't catch up. And all of a sudden I'm on my third sentence when I'm trying to speak the first one. So, so look, you know, we're going to gather our elements for communion right now. I want us to really think about now through Advent as we talk about risk. Risk in the Lord is not burden. Risk in the Lord is fun. I want you to think about risk in a different perspective than a negative. You know, you can't climb a mountain without risk. You can't swim the English Channel without risk. Just take a simple thing. Playing a pickup game of ball, and losers have to buy pop or whatever it is you're buying. Risk. Because they're going to, everybody knows it. The losers, it's not buying the pop. It's listening to the noise of how, you know, there's always risk. Let's embrace that. It's fun. Risk can actually be fun. I'm, enc I'm encouraging you again to take time and write these and do your journals. Does anyone here actually journal? Just in general. I, I know you do. Polly, you do? Okay. I'm going to tell you where it's really exciting. If you're going through a, if you, if you can do it on a computer, you can also cross, make, do cross-references, and you'll put down what you're going through at that time. I'll tell you what's really interesting is when you cross-reference in a time where you're feeling kind of down, and you go back to something that's five or six years ago, and you find yourself, and you're like, was I that? I wasn't that bad, was I? Because what happens is it's, it becomes revelatory of how much God has changed you over those years. That those kind of things are no, they were giants back then, but they're not anymore. Much like when you're a teenager and every little thing was a giant and they're no longer concerned, you see those things. But the big part of it is the writing is so important. When you put to words your emotions, your feelings, your, your conflicts, it does something for you. Then your prayer, immediately you, you flow into prayer because it, it crystallizes everything. So please don't miss this. This is really a great tool. And, and if you do it just once a week, through Advent, it might be something that you'll find yourself wanting to do more and more often. So, I want to just close in prayer. Father, we just give you all the thanks. The more I, that you keep revealing to me and revealing to us as a body of, of, of the incredible mission that you took on solely for us, is staggering. So, Lord, we just ask you, Continue to empower us to move in the Spirit. Empower us to move in your will. To take every step as you take a step, neither before or behind you. Allow us to have eyes that you have. To see people. To really notice people. 
that you're, they're your children too. And some may not know you. And some desperately need to. So we ask this holiday season. We're going to pray for all of our families. Especially those that have not come to know you, Christ. We're going to ask you that this is the season where the, the, that little seed that we've been planting finally takes sprout. We ask, Lord, that you get to our brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles, and possibly even our parents that haven't seen the light of the Lord, that they'll be touched this year. That common friends, people I see every day, you may see every day at work, we ask you to touch them, Lord. Make this the most incredible Christmas that we present to you these smiling faces as your gift, as an acknowledgement of the, the price you paid. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.